Hard Feelings by Mark Coggins is a bang bang thrill ride, says best-selling author Seth Harwood, who adds that the lead character of Winnie is a female Jack Reacher. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 19 Reardon I pried myself off Winnie and peered over the tub. The air was choked with dust. The light from the shattered window wavered in swirling eddies. Through the canting doorframe, I could see the items I stacked as a barricade blasted across the bedroom like so much dollhouse furniture. There was no sign of destiny. No sign, at least, of the dark-haired beauty I had selected from the bridal bit lineup less than 24 hours earlier. There was only an ominous finger of blood creeping from beneath the ruined bedroom door. Winnie shifted under me, her butt rubbing against my crotch in a manner I would have found arousing under different circumstances. Plaster clung to her skin like a coating of powdered sugar. She coughed, then spat into the drain. Motherfucker, she said with a kind of wonder. Are you okay? I asked. As far as I know. I nodded and reached for the bar over the soap dish to lever myself up. I stepped out and then offered a hand to Winnie. You've got to get back into the RF shield. They're using the signal from your transceiver to track us again. Winnie clambered out beside me. But how did they know to send Jasmine to the other cottage? Jasmine? Jesus! I didn't realize. Winnie shook her head. Sorry, I forgot you didn't see them. But the question stands. How did they know to target your cottage? Ray's decoy transmitter. I left it running there. She stared hard into my face, then her gaze softened. I'm not sure whether that was smart, brave, or foolhardy. On impulse, I leaned over to kiss her full on the mouth. Only half smart. I forgot to make you put on the shield last night, so they targeted both signals. Now hustle. They have to be coming. It's better if they think you and your transceiver are dead. Winnie's purse and bag had flown from the place she had parked them into the far corner of the room. While Winnie searched through the jumble for the transceiver, shield, and shoulder holster, I found the duffel bag we confiscated from the winemaker's men. As I rummaged inside for the sawed-off and my luger, it dawned on me how lucky we'd been. Lucky that Winnie had insisted we sleep at the front of the cottage where she heard Destiny coming. Lucky that she had left the transceiver in her purse in the bedroom, where it would be relatively protected from the explosion. Lucky that Ray made the device more shock-resistant. The harsh truth was, even though she didn't sustain any physical injuries, Winnie could just as easily be lying paralyzed at the bottom of the tub. I wasn't the only one pursuing this train of thought. I'm never taking this damn thing off again, said Winnie, as she struggled to pull the shield over her head. She'd already strapped on the holster and transceiver. 
We really dodged a bullet. I really dodged a bullet. Don't think about it. Too late for that. I suppose I'm the bait this time. It's your turn, but unlike me at the brothel, you can be armed. I passed over the sod off. Yeah, how about if I lie under the mattress with just a leg sticking out? That works. Let's see if we can arrange it like a lean-to. Put you facing the door, far enough back so the rest of you can't be seen by someone without getting on all fours. You'll still have an excellent shot at their feet. Good. We dragged the mattress back to the bed frame and leaned the long edge against the rail closest to the door. We left about a foot of space between the elevated edge and the carpet, just enough for Winnie to squeeze under. She crawled into place, leaving out half a leg as bait. I took up a position with the luger on the side of the door nearest the bathroom. The door had been blown off its hinges and was leaning well into the room, resting on the toppled dresser. I thought about moving the dresser to make it easier for someone to enter and to disguise the fact the entrance had been barricaded, but I decided that was pushing it. The way it stood, it would be clear that Winnie had anticipated the attack and tried to block the door, but it would hopefully suggest she'd been caught building the barricade when the bomb went off. Okay, I whispered. I'm set. Don't shoot or reveal yourself unless you hear me call. Don't screw up. Quiet. I had told Winnie that the winemaker's men must be coming, but as I crouched by the doorway in my boxers, it occurred to me that the first person to enter the room might be a cop, a paramedic, or even someone from the hotel. All the more reason for Winnie to wait for my signal. I hoped our conversation the night before about prudence had sunk in. No sirens preceded the steps I heard on the porch mere seconds later. That eliminated the police or other first responders. No one called out, Are you okay? That eliminated hotel staff or guests. The next thing I heard was the sound of someone crunching over glass in the front room. No groans or involuntary expressions of shock or horror at finding Destiny's body. That seemed to eliminate just about anyone else with a shred of decency. The top of the unhinged door swept down, then drew back across the overturned dresser with a scraping noise. It landed with a thud on something just the other side of the doorway. Destiny. The intruder was using the door as a bridge across the gore of her mangled corpse. A heavy tread reverberated off the door, and then a pair of booted feet landed atop the dresser. I was surprised to find that the feet went with a man dressed as a paramedic, and for the briefest moment, I doubted my assessment of the situation. Then I saw the gun in his right hand, and recognized him as the beefier of the two Airzatz utility employees from Palm Springs. More puzzling was the power drill he held in his left hand, and the clear plastic shield he wore over his face. It looked like the rig a dental hygienist would wear while cleaning teeth. All confusion faded when I realized that the power drill wasn't that at all. It was a battery-operated surgical saw. He was there to harvest the stimulator from the back of Winnie's neck and had worn the shield to protect against blood splatter. So much for prudence. It was bad enough they'd sent Destiny and Jasmine on involuntary suicide missions. Now they'd come to slice up Winnie like so much chuck roast, and they were going to pay. 
The man in the paramedic uniform spotted Winnie. He grinned to himself beneath a shield just before my left hook collided with his kidney. He gave a strangled yelp and pitched forward, landing in a sprawl in front of the dresser. I was on him in an instant. I ditched my gun and took two handfuls of his hair, bouncing his head up and down on the carpet like a basketball. Blood from his nose collected in the shield and flew in the air like sea spray. By the time Winnie pulled me off him, he was long dead or unconscious. Stop it, she hissed. He's done. We need to find his partner. I was so angry I couldn't form words. I grunted my agreement and hurried to gather my clothes from the bathroom where I'd left them the night before. I threw them on and then collected my gun and the surgical saw from the floor. Winnie had taken a post at the front window of the cottage, peeking out from the side. I stepped across the door that covered Destiny's body, simultaneously horrified that I was desecrating her remains in this fashion and thankful that I didn't have to look at them. But there was no ignoring the detached arm lying underneath the dinette table. At the window, I could see sunlight filtering through the pine trees at the eastern edge of the property. It couldn't have been later than six. Anything? I asked. There's nothing stirring in the office. I've seen a few pale faces in the windows of cottages. The ambulance they pulled up in is gone or out of sight. Ambulance? Yeah, another thing I didn't have time to tell you. I guess it goes with the paramedic uniform. Camouflage if the cops show up. But they can't have gone far. Probably the driver is the redhead from Palm Springs. He must be waiting for this one to come back with the goods. Probably. I took hold of her arm, forgetting again that she couldn't feel my touch. Look, I'm sorry for what happened. You were right about dealing with them in the Springs. They must have posted bail the next day. If it wasn't them, it would have been another team. But they wouldn't have been on our ass so quickly, and they might not have recaptured Destiny and Jasmine. Get everything packed and ready. I glanced down at her bare legs and grinned. And put on some pants. I'll deal with our red-headed friend. Don't be silly. We... No, Winnie. I'm going to handle this. It's the right thing tactically, and it's the right thing for me. Be careful. You too. I slipped out of the cottage door. From the vantage point of the porch, I could see that a few brave souls had gathered in front of the other cottage. They stood in a huddle with their backs to me, pointing at smoke boiling from the roof. Jasmine's bomb had evidently ruptured a gas line. I hurried down the steps and dodged to the back of the building, cutting through a stand of scrawny pines to the main road that ran by the hotel. I found the ambulance parked on the shoulder of the road, the red lights on its roof sweeping through the branches above me. The window of the passenger door was down, but I could only see a bit of the dashboard and nothing at all of the driver. My original plan was to sneak up on him and take him alive for questioning. Questioning I intended to motivate with the surgical saw, at least the threat of it. Now that I was here, I could see too many things that could go wrong. The most likely being that he would simply drive away before I could overpower him. I threw down the saw and double-checked the safety on the Luger. It was rush him with guns blazing or nothing. 
I stepped out from the trees, bending low to draw less attention in the side mirror, should he be looking that way. When I reached the ambulance, I placed a foot on the running board and hoisted myself over the edge of the open window, shoving the Luger into the cab to threaten or shoot the driver. Only he wasn't there. I found out exactly where he was when a slug thudded into the side panel of the ambulance just to the left of my hip. I had no place to go but forward. I pushed off the running board, flopping and dolphin kicking all the way into the cab. It would have been comic if it wasn't so terrifying. More bullets hammered the side panel, vaporizing the glass of the sliding door and destroying the side mirror. I slithered across the bench seat to see if the keys had been left in the steering column. No such luck. I reached for the driver's door handle and popped it open. Another shot winged off the center post as I dropped to the asphalt. How the redhead had gotten behind me, I didn't know. He might have grown tired of waiting and gone to check on his partner, or been assigned to check the other cottage. He might even have stepped out to take a piss. But now he was somewhere in the stand of pines taking pot shots at me while I hid behind the ambulance. His ambulance. The realization he was shooting up his own getaway vehicle gave me the idea. Hey, asshole, I shouted. You got run flats on this thing? I pointed the Luger at the left rear tire and pulled the trigger. The sidewall exploded with a bang that seemed louder than the pistol. I gave the left front the same treatment. The ambulance lurched, resting on the bare metal of the wheels. How are you going to get home now? I risked a look around the front bumper and saw him in full flight back to the hotel. My guess was that he intended to steal another car from the parking lot, but he hadn't reckoned on Winnie. She stepped out from behind a tree with a sawed-off, shot him where no man wants to be shot. He went down in a heap, clutching at what was left of his genitals. I watched as she kicked him onto his back and put her foot down on the wound. He writhed under her as she barked a question. He shook his head no, but when he ground her heel and shouted, Tell me. He blubbered something. She asked another question and received a response. She dropped to her knees. I thought she was getting closer to here, but I was wrong. She took his head in both hands and snapped his neck. been listening to No Hard Feelings, a finalist for the Forward Reviews Book of the Year Award. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Mm-hmm.